Welcome to Demystifying Tech, a business cloud podcast which examines the impact of technology on industry and wider society. In each episode, a technologist from one of the UK's most innovative companies will break down a key area of tech and offer practical takeaways for your business. In this episode, we are joined by Laura Gilman, co-lead at EwokaPay. EwokaPay is a fast-growing B2B payments product which has been built within business loans platform Ewoka, star of our FinTech 50 ranking last year. Lara joined EwokaPay as head of product and strategy after attempting to build a fintech startup in the remittance space. The experience helped to shape her approach to building EwokaPay, which now employs 27 people. Today, Lara and I will discuss how to approach building a tech product from the ground up. Lara, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Looking forward to this conversation. So your background, let's have a little look at the early, early part of that. So prior to launching your fintech startup, can you just give me a little flavor? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually ended up in fintech in back in 2012. Um, and it was at a time where actually in the emerging markets, there was a really exciting payment innovation happening around a product called mobile money, most famously um, kind of uh, M-Pesa in Kenya, where millions of people were using it even at that time. And now, you know, billions of people are using it um, across the emerging markets. And so I was ended up uh, being able to work with mobile network operators who were building and launching um, mobile money in their respective markets. So I uh, was able to work with Orange in Mali and Madagascar, um, work with Airtel in the Congo, worked in and as well as in India, worked in Indonesia. So it really gave me um, uh, a unique perspective on on what fintech could do um, in in a variety of contexts. So, so what did that idea for use? So why OOZ? This was this was the startup that you this founded. This is the startup. So after a few years in mobile money, one of the one of the big use cases at the time um, was uh, was around international remittances. So mobile money really works at a domestic level, so that's setting up local payments. But the adoption of the product, what was really exciting about it, is that it was a, a very accessible product. So um, you sort of had, you know, very high ARPU um, revenue, let's say revenue generating users using it, as well as um, very low revenue generators using it. So, but they would use it lots and lots. And so this kind of idea of how do you make um, other payment products this accessible, uh, we started kicking the tire on that. And one of the problems we kind of landed on was international remittance. So there is a huge um, economic uh, spread of people who migrate. Uh, and uh, especially when you start getting into um, lower income groups, uh, their families back home are very dependent on their income. Um, but currently, or certainly at the time, it's actually kind of changed a lot now, but at the time it was um, quite hard to send low value remittances. So use, the idea was that we wanted to marry up a lot of the innovation that was happening in payment stacks uh, with this sort of uh, really tangible problem of, of how to be, enable low value remittances in an international context um, to get developed. And so we were building a, a remittance business between the UK and India uh, to start with. And um, and we learned a lot. Um, it uh, It's actually grown a lot. Sorry, the the others have really advanced the product. We, we did a very good start, had a great problem, but we ourselves kind of um, didn't quite get it off the ground the way we wanted to. So what did you learn from that? What what didn't go what didn't go according to plan? Because <laughs> this is the these are the important things that we need to talk about, right? Yeah, exactly. It was so I had um, it's a really interesting one. There were definitely some some kind of mark. You know, starting a startup from scratch is is always hard. And like you look at the statistics of why people um fail and they either run out of money, run out of time, it's not the product market fit, um, and some of it just execution. And I would say like 
we had a great idea and actually had a lot of the execution down. But one of the things um, that I certainly didn't feel like I had in my skill set was how do you actually build a tech product? I was really strong on thinking about the customer proposition. Um, we had a lot of experience with that working in mobile money, really strong on thinking about distribution and how we manage that. But one of the things we we weren't so um, we lacked was actually, you know, neither of us was a technical co-founder. And so we, when we work with developers, there was a real gap in our knowledge of how we think about building those building blocks. And I remember actually, and I'm sure other founders out there who may have been in that situation um, and people navigate it. And, and I feel like I've navigated it now, but at the time definitely struggled with it. And I was really frustrated. And I was fortunate enough to have um, some guidance of a CTO who gave me a hard truth, probably a little too late, but gave me a good hard truth which, um, you know, I was saying, well, I'm just really frustrated with these developers and this isn't quite right and whatever, 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 whatever I was complaining about. And as he dug into it, he turned to me and he goes, ah, it's because you don't get it. This is kind of what's happening. And I was like, what do you mean? I know exactly. Here's my spec. This is like my, my, my wireframe. And he gave me a really excellent analogy. And he said, when you think about working with developers, the way you're asking them to do something right now and the way I was doing it, which is basically like, here's my end product, build it. That's it. You're basically saying, cool, I want those chairs in a room. You're asking them to move some chairs into a room. What you're not giving any sensitivity or thought or context around is where are the chairs now? How big are those chairs? Do those chairs have to move down the hall once? Do you need to move the chairs lots of times? Are the doors locked? Do you want them to be locked? Is it important that you know you have, like what size the people are gonna be using these chairs? These are decisions that you don't care about, but they are required to make in some way, shape or form. And so you sort of being frustrated that they've been forced to make decisions along the way that you haven't worked with them on or given any guidance or even been aware they've had to make this. And so I think that's one thing when you think about tech product is like, what is exactly the thing you want? And I remember thinking at the point being like, oh my God, if that was the problem, I would have said, we don't even need chairs. And he was like, exactly, exactly. You need to be super precise on the problem you're actually trying to solve and the thing you actually need and why you need it and work with them on how that solution looks. Because you say, I need chairs. And actually when you dig into it, you may not need chairs at all. And I think so, that's a really good analogy of how you think about it for me yeah. anyway. It's a little bit, I guess, like, like in an internal way, listening to the market. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? So like you take, you take a product to market, you, you, you don't just say, this is the product you, you need, deal with it. Cause they would say, well, we don't want, we don't really want that, but actually this is what we would like. So actually doing that internally, so having those open lines of communication, I guess, and, and then working together to get to the final product internally is, is kind of what we're looking at. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was a real um, baptism by fire to learn how to do that and to move from a place where, you know, I was, I was, it was really fun and effective to be able to work with mobile operators, like launching these products because the tech was already there or a lot of it was. And so you're really working much more on the strategic side, but then you start getting the execution side and the building blocks. And it's just, it's a different skill set. And so for me, that was um, a, I had an amazing time. I learned loads and I am very grateful for it. And I think that kind of experience absolutely has helped in in what we're doing now with Pay, and I, and I really appreciate it. So before we get to how, how you're taking those learnings into a Woka Pay, you know, what actually attracted you to, because you joined the Woka first of all, right, as head of product and strategy, you know, what attracted you to that business and what, and what was that initial role? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I 
at the time I kind of um, had been working quite a lot internationally and I was ready to sort of uh, get a little bit more involved in the UK. I knew I wanted to stay in fintech. I just, I love how finance and technology is this real infrastructure offering. Um, it can have a real impact on people's lives, make it accessible if you, you know, it's a real challenging place to be in it. And for me, that's a lot of fun. And so I knew I wanted to be in fintech and I knew I wanted to be in the UK and I knew I wanted to work with great people. And I was really fortunate because actually my former boss, um, Seema Desai, was and is, I should say, um, the COO of, of Iwaka. And so I actually ended up getting a coffee with her and and she really painted this very um, honest and also like flattering picture of Iwaka, of this place where it is a tech-led, analytically-led business with this great tech stack. Um, very smart people work here, very passionate people work here. And it just sounded like um, a community I wanted to be a part, part of. And it really ticked the boxes of the kind of problems I wanted to solve. Accessible finance mm -hmm. to um, to small businesses in, in the UK and in Germany. Um, and just the effectiveness of the businesses. Um, yeah, it just, it, it drew me to it. And so I kind of started the journey and and I um, I would say I ended up in the head of product and strategy for um, when I first joined, but I really just started actually as a, um, let's say a generalist supporting the CEO, uh, uh, Christoph. Um, and what I did was I kind of that role you come into, what's great about, about businesses in that scaling phase is they know they need help and sometimes um, they have really clear job descriptions and sometimes they say, listen, I've got this hole. Can you help me fill it? And for someone like me who's um, who really likes that that putting structure around things that aren't yet structured, I really enjoyed that. So he could just we could work on projects together. Um, and through that, we just we developed the this kind of um, I worked more on the product and strategy side. So in that role, uh, one of the big things I did was um, was able to kind of work with the team to develop our bid for um this uh the bcr grant which was a um a grant program kind of uh that was run by the banking competitions remedy scheme and it was open up it was innovation grants and the idea was to put um, a lot of money into uh into the uk to really push fintech forward and it's very competitive kind of an exciting process and it really allowed us to think quite laterally about where was i going you know and what could we build and what could we do with our tech stack um, and we are, our core product is what we call a flexi loan. Um, and a flexi loan is basically an alternative to an overdraft. It's available, um, instantly to small businesses and we've had great traction with it. Uh, you know, today we've now made available uh, more than 3 billion, I mean, possibly even close to 4 billion pounds across the UK and Germany to hundreds of thousands of businesses. Um, and, but at the time we were really thinking, what else can we do? And with that product, one of the problems we noticed is that the reason people were using the flexi loan was to pay a supplier or cover an invoice. And we were like, why do they have to be there? Why do they have to like, why do they have to come and look for a loan? Why can't we be where they want to be? And so for us, part of that BCR bid and that strategy development process was coming up with new products like I walk pay. And so part of our commitment was to say, you know, not only are we going to improve our infrastructure and offer um, some exciting new commitments and new partnerships, we're also going to invest in an entirely new product for us where we can take all of our tech and lending technology and apply it to this cash flow problem around um, around invoices and payment terms and trade credit. Um, well, so this is a bit of a windy way to get to Iwaka Pay and what I've been doing, but that's kind of the journey. Yeah, well, this is a problem that I think we had a headline last year about, you know, late, late payments kills. 50,000 businesses a year, you know, because small business owners don't have time to chase invoices and it's, it's 
a real, and especially in, in, a, in a sort of economic climate like we've had for the last couple of years, you know, businesses sometimes don't pay the invoices as quickly for a reason, there's a knock-on effect. So actually making it easy to pay at the point of delivery, or, or very soon after, is, is really important, isn't it? Absolutely. And in fact, over the that's definitely where we started was this idea, how can we make it easier um, in that invoicing context? But over time, we've realized it's actually, trade credit is far more, um, let's say, that that's the tip of the iceberg. So unpaid invoices and late payments is definitely part of the problem. And how can you make that accessible? But the other side of it is buyers want trade credit. They want payment terms. And actually, it can be a real powerhouse for businesses who offer it effectively. You know, with Iwakapay, our merchants are able to offer up to 12-month terms to their buyers. That's amazing. If you want to sell someone an annual subscription or if you want to offer them an account where they can seamlessly kind of purchase stuff as they need to and spread the cost of that so they can better manage their cash flow, it's awesome. So we kind of see these emerging use cases of, you know, absolutely, there's the credit control, late payments, you know, merchants who, small businesses who want to improve their payment practices. We also see um, mid-sized firms coming to work with us because they want to offer their customers better terms so that they can make purchases more affordable and they can also make better investments. Um, and, and we're also seeing uh, kind of high turnover, high repeat usage for businesses like wholesalers who just want to, to want to offer those that trade credit, but don't want to carry the credit risk themselves. So it's a really cool space. And, and I think that as we develop and learn from our customers and their customers, um, we can just see like, there's just so many improvements we can make and we're really at the beginning of it, but yeah, absolutely. So, so you're the co-lead with Rob Jones. You launched it just before COVID. Um, so yes. the, real, the real launch was a little bit later than perhaps you intended. Um, right. Effectively, it's a business within a business, right? I mean, you're from a governance side or point of view, you're reporting back to, to Christoph and Samir. And you know, can you just tell me a little bit more about that and, and the kind of the different metrics that potentially you need yeah. to do for this product compared to Iwoka, the, the, the wider As- business? Yeah, so we, one of the... Um... Uh, Iwaka is such a um, uh, an is a more established, obviously more established uh, kind of product as a lender, direct lender, and work with lots of different partners and lots of different channels. Um, and we kind of knew this product would would be um, a bet. It was a bet, and and it was very hard. What we were concerned about initially was that we would either put too much pressure. On, it would just be very hard to have the headspace of developing this new product and also be managing other channels because it was so different. And it wasn't different in its core. In its core, it's lending to small businesses. It's, it's core, it's a, it's a trade credit, it's still a credit product. But in terms of how you acquire um, and reach out and educate merchants to use it, how you support buyers, what the proposition to buyers are, how we name the product. Um, and so for us, the the um, it was really important to kind of separate a team who was just going to focus on this 100% of the time. And so we really created that dedicated team. That's something that we always will monitor and, and kind of review. But the idea was to create dedicated, let's say, headspace um, for a team to work exclusively on this problem. Um, and, and you're right. And so with that kind of follows different kind of metrics. So we look a lot at um, things like activation rate, retention, repeat rates, um, which the core business absolutely does on, on the lending side as well. But for us, we look at it perhaps even at like how often a seller uses the product, how often um, a buyer, what's the ticket rate for a buyer, how many buyers they have, how to position it, what's the use case they're using it for, therefore what features do they want. And so the for us, it's just a little bit of a different environment. Um, the best analogy I can always think of in this context is uh, 
I walk a pay is to I walk a like Uber Eats is to Uber. It's the same core platform. It at the core of it, it it you know I think for Uber it's something I think their their messaging is something like um, moving moving stuff around or something like that. But that that's the core of what everyone does. But you you would never call Uber Eats if you needed a taxi. In the same way, you wouldn't call Iwaka if you need trade credit. You you go to get a loan and you come to us when you're looking about how to make purchases or how to offer your customers purchases but at the core of it, it's a similar platform so just returning to that cha chairs analogy uh, from before which i really like by the way it's really really interesting way of looking at things how are you working with various teams on the products great question so we have a dedicated um, product manager and a dedicated tech team and the way that we run that team it's a full stack team which means um they, and it's not a, it's, it's a, um, it's a team of about, um, and we have a dedicated designer. So it's about seven people in that, in that team. And um, effectively they are very tightly knit um, and they are able to manage the entire end to end product, um, including what bets are we taking? How are we executing them? How long is it going to take? How are we measuring their success? But that is a hundred percent their core focus. Um, and so they look at things at, like, how can we increase seller engagement? How can we make it easier for sellers to embed the product? How can we make it easier for sellers to explain the product to their buyers? How do we make it easy for buyers? How can we, um, what are the features buyers are looking for? Can we provide it? And then they really work on with us on how thinking about, all right, how do we, how do we just make this more useful for our customers? Um, but that is entirely hundred percent of their time. Uh, they're not working anything else. So it's really about creating that dedicated headspace to think about what is it this product needs to get to the next level. And I guess speaking to like the marketing teams and all that kind of stuff as well, because if the marketing team or, or let's say the sales team isn't speaking to the dev team, you know, they, the salespeople need to say to the devs, this is what the, the customers want, right? So it's having those, again, those open communication channels to kind of iterate on the products and everybody not just working in silos. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big believer in cross-functional um, teams. Uh, and, you know, I think from the very early stages, uh, we, we, when we were just a team of four, every Monday morning, um, the whole team, so all, all four of us, but I'm a developer, um, the, me, the co-lead, another salesperson and a marketer with five of us, um, basically stood up and said, all right, what are we working on? Where are we? What's, what's the goal for this week? And as we grew that cross-functional team um, uh, cadence, uh, stayed for a long time. Eventually we got too big for everyone to be doing a Monday morning meeting together. But instead it's now we think about how do we construct the cadence for the team to still have those communication channels. So we'll have um, tech and ops sessions or a product will run um, product and sales review sessions or with our accountant team product and accounting review sessions. Um, we do every couple of weeks, we do something called wins and demos where everybody um, or every team brings something that their team has kind of achieved. Uh, to show what they've been working on to kind of see, you know, where are we, what, what's happening um, and kind of get a sense of what's going on. So we actually make really intended actions to find ways to build those communication channels, because in my experience, they don't happen organically. You have to kind of make the space to, to figure out that cross-functional like say, dynamic um, because people kind of want to do their jobs. They want to execute and they'll execute in their world. But you need to find those ways to kind of help people interact. And that's become even more important as we move to a more flexible working environment um, because you're obviously remote. So you really need to even work harder to find those ways that people interact a little bit randomly um, so that you can kind of see those kind of great spark of ideas. Uh, so, so you operate on the principle of design sprints? 
Now, you don't have a design sprint every week because then <laughs> you, you wouldn't be able to do anything else. Um, how, how many of those have you run in, in the last sort of couple of years and, and what do they look like? Yeah, so so taking a step back, um, a design sprint is something I, I have found incredibly valuable over time and actually learned it while I was still working in, in the mobile money world. Um, and what it is, it's it's uh, the origin of it is um, the Google Venture Labs. Uh, and there's a great book, uh, Jake Knapp, who... who um, who, who basically are, tells you exactly what to do. And it's pretty awesome. And what it is, it's, it's a five day structured process where you put a cross-functional team into a room and tackle a problem. So you don't come with a solution. You don't come with um, any uh, preconception of what you're actually going to build. You come with just a really clear and specific idea, problem or goal um, that you're trying to achieve, but really outcome-based. So, so this might be process. kind of, if, if you didn't do the sprint, this may be something that's just kind of hanging around in the background. We do need to build this at some point, guys. Oh, we've not really had time to do that because we've been fighting some fires or whatever it is. So this is kind of like our focus is to get this done this week. Exactly. So, for example, you know, with Iwakapay, um, as I said, we don't we do not do them that often um, because they are a big time investment, but we do it when I usually can get a good sense that one, sometimes I feel like it's needed if all of a sudden people just feel like, oh, how are we? Gonna, oh, you just almost feel, you start feeling that like dread. For me, it's like, okay, this may be a great time. Is it? Is this, is this, you know, is this challenge feeling so hard that we just need to stop and just tackle it and find a way to at least have, make some progress with it or understand it better or really look at it. And so for me, it's a really um, effective, you know, tactical strategy to do that. And so for early I walk a pay, it was exactly that, you know, we were so excited um, that we had this kind of, uh, we, we had the grant, we loved the problem, we had a rough idea of how we thought the solution was going to work. Um, and we wanted to really flesh that out. And it felt overwhelming, because you were trying to figure out, you know, what's the marketing strategy? What's the, you know, tech that we need? How many people should we hire? Like that, you, know, you start, you start kind of really hitting the rubber to the road. And so taking five days of just getting the team we had together, um, you know, a developer, a marketer we borrowed, a designer we borrowed, a um, me and, and Rob kind of co-leads. That's, that's a true startup, isn't it? So when it we say a business startup. within a business, it's a, it is a startup. Yeah, it was just us. And so we got into a room uh, and, and ran through the process and you do everything from you start with problems because people, it's easy for people to think about problems. Tell me everything that's broken. People always can, if you say, what should we do? That's very overwhelming. If you say, tell me what's broken. Oh, Everybody can tell you what's broken. And so you start with kind of what's broken and then you start thinking, okay, cool. Which of these are the most broken? If we solve them, which would be the most exciting? And then you kind of start getting the mindset of like, ah, oh, this is the most important problem. Then you say, okay, cool. Then you kind of move more into like the creative space of how do you solve it? And so you don't come with ideas. You just come with kind of clarity of problems and prioritizing those problems. And then you start kind of thinking about solutions. And so for me, it's a really effective, especially in early startup world, it can be a really effective tool. Now, you do it too much like everything it's not a silver bullet it's just a great space to get a good foundation and get people behind a problem and get people sort of understanding it and being the same page um so i found it a very effective uh tactic before we sort of crystallize this into a few kind of practical tips to take away um tell us what 2024 holds for Iwoka Pay. I'm not saying it right, am I? How, how do you how do you pronounce the the, the name? I walk a I walk a pay. So I walk a pay. I walk a pay. Yeah, I should I should have done that at the start of the podcast. 
No, it's all right. IWACA is a um is a acronym actually. So IWACA stands for Instant Working Capital. Oh, that was the origin. Oh, and I, I think never it's very that. much at what. Yeah, it's a I it's a it's a great um it's a great story. So Instant Working Capital, and it's very much at the core of what IWACA does and what IWACA Pay does is that we offer accessible. Um, financing to small businesses when they need it and where they need it. Um, it's really about how can we make this as accessible as possible. So, for Iwaka Pay, for example, all of our um, all of our uh, offers are instant. So everybody gets an answer within 60 seconds. Um, you have, and 70% of actually the decisions in core business are also instant decisions. So it's only when you get into kind of larger loans that we want um, a CA to look uh, to look more deeply, but uh, sorry, credit analysts look more deeply. But absolutely, the the core of the business is um, is really how can we make this accessible, and what does accessible mean? Uh, so, so that's Iwaka, and and Iwaka Pay within that. Our mission is really around how do we get merchant, how do we leverage trade credit to get merchants paid? We really want our sellers to get paid. We want buyers to access the terms they need. And so, in the core of that, the things that we work on are. How can we reach the right merchants and right sellers who need this product um, and help them embed it into their into their processes? How can we make the product more accessible to the buyers that need it and make it a go-to payment product for them? Um, and and how do we do that in a way that is that you know ensures our commitment as a responsible financing provider? So we do it sustainably and effectively. And so that's really you know where we are. And right now we've got a, a really strong product. Um, and uh, we are really excited about, we've got a few more features coming in and we will also be looking at, we've, we had longer terms. So initially we started with a three month product, we're into a 12 month product. Um, and we are uh, certainly looking at how we improve our integrations and our APIs to make it easier to embed uh, into, into wherever businesses need it, whether it's online or offline, invoices, et cetera. So for us, that's really how the product will develop. Um, and, and yeah, and we'll just continue to, to get it out there and, and be part of, I think, what will be a really exciting evolution of trade credit, which has been around forever. So that's kind of where our head's at. Excellent. So this is the part of the pod where we ask you for your tech takeaways. So a few quick fire tips for businesses looking to build a tech product from scratch. Could be two, could be three, 30 to 60 seconds, go. <laughs> Uh, building a tech product from scratch. First of all, make sure you have a um, someone technical who you uh, know and trust and make sure you have someone uh, commercial and customer oriented who you know and trust. So I think the the idea of complementary co-founders is is really powerful. Um, so someone who really either understands the operations, the technical, the systems of the business and uh, coupled with someone who really understands customers, propositions, um, commerciality. Those mix and match, but make sure you kind of cover those bases is number one. Number two is I I would absolutely say um, launch quickly and measure everything. So put stuff out there, see what people think. There's nothing more powerful than real data. And then as you get bigger, be thoughtful about what data you actually want to measure and how it's going to work. Um, and then number three for me, yeah, as your team grows, spend time and effort to find ways that they can communicate and they can see each other's world. Um, that cross-functional um, diversity of thought is so powerful to get to get new ideas. Excellent. Right. So when we do our podcast, we always ask our guests to tell them something about themselves that would surprise us. Can you tell me something could be personal, could be business, but something that perhaps people aren't aware of or just something a little bit quirky? Um, oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, you see, this is what people remember, right? 
yeah. So say, so oh, I I, think... when you go to an event, for example, the, the, if you ask that question on stage, people walk away from the event thinking, oh, yeah, that's the person that, you know, played basketball for Nottinghamshire, even though they're only five foot five inches. Whatever the example, that's just the last example of someone that I interviewed. But, you know, that's the kind of thing we're looking at. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, there's kind of a couple things that pop into my head. Um, one that I'm quite proud of, I um, I uh, when I was very young, I did some barrel racing in rodeos, and I would say anybody who goes to America and has a chance to go to a rodeo, please do. They are such a special, crazy, marvelous place to be. And I know my accent probably doesn't sound like I'm very southern, and I actually don't spend loads and loads of time in the south, but um, I do have a special place in my heart for 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 rodeos. What barrel racing? What what was it? What is it? <laughs> Yeah, it's um I mean I did it very young, so there'll be real barrel races out there who I just like bow down to because it's a it's a pretty crazy uh sport. Um but a rodeo actually it's not even the craziest in the world of rodeos. But um yeah, you just ride out, you circle three barrels on a horse and you come back and the person who does it fastest wins. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Not, not, not maybe not it's so many opportunities fast. in the in the rodeo grassroots in the UK. Maybe not not as Probably not as easy not. to keep up. <laughs> but for those of you who are hitting up America as a as a tourist trip, I would absolutely encourage every time I tell people I said, "Oh, if you're heading down south, or especially you know Texas into that area, go find yourself a rodeo. They're good." Well, I went to America so many out. so many times, you know, for you know, for pleasure, for business, but I've never never actually been to a rodeo. So yeah, that's that's now <laughs> added to the bucket list. I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to try and like do one like though. <laughs> I feel like I feel like when people that I walk and listen to this, they're going to be like, what were you? T-? And, uh, yeah, that's what came to mind. That's probably my um, that's the fact that came to mind now. Well, yeah, we, we can we can tell from today's podcast that Iwoka Pay is not your first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, great insight into, you know, building a tech product, how to work with tech teams, you know, the design sprints and, and opening up those communication channels. So, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If you've got any feedback on today's episode, scribble it down on LinkedIn, X or YouTube, or drop us a line at podcasts at businesscloud.co.uk. If you enjoyed the episode and found it useful, please like and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to be among the first to hear insights from key players within the UK's most innovative tech companies. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Demystifying Tech is a Business Cloud podcast produced in partnership with pan-European B2B tech PR and communications agency Taito. New episodes are streamed on Business Cloud's YouTube, LinkedIn and Twitter pages from 12pm on the second Friday of every month, while you can find all episodes on YouTube and all major audio podcast platforms. Subscribe now so you never miss an episode.